0: Um, well have you ever been disappointed that's a silly question right of course we have and uh, disappointment is often related to our expectations um it's where you know the people that were supposed to look after us didn't or the person who wasn't supposed to hurt us did or the body of people that were supposed to welcome us with open arms instead shunned us and and turned their backs on us us or Or whatever it might be, someone who was supposed to use their power to lift others up, actually abuse their power, whatever it is, we get disappointed because we have expectations around the way that people will act. And uh, what can happen is that we can build a wall up around us of self-protection. And um, this morning I want us to look at whether or not self-protection is actually the best way forward. You know, I kind of think about self-protection and there's a part of us, because we're disappointed, But we're still people of faith and we still love Jesus and we want to move forward in power and in victory and in faith and there's this part of us that wants to move forward and and try new things and do new things but then there's this other part of us that is very much trying to um, look after us and don't get too hopeful and don't don't put yourself out there and there's like this dividing wall of hostility. It's not the dividing wall of hostility that Paul talks about where he's talking about... um, the Jews and the Gentiles, but there's this dividing wall of hostility and the tension between us wanting to move forward and us wanting to protect ourselves, um, kind of, they they have a tension between them. And there's... There's kind of three ways that I've seen people go into self-protection. You might have another and there's various iterations obviously between all these, but these are the three ways that I've really seen people go into self-protection. Uh, they, they just There's some people who just move forward regardless. They just shove it down, don't let it slow you down, just move forward and, uh, and just ignore it, put it away, just don't acknowledge it and don't look at your, the person next to you if you think that that's them. Um, I find that you can always identify your mother, brother, sister, daughter, whatever, more than you can identify yourself. Um, but we, we don't want to slow down, so we just shove it down and we keep going and move forward. problem with that being is that often there's outbursts of emotion or something uh, when we just shove it down and we don't actually think about it or deal with it. And it comes out in, in various places where someone might say something and you have this outburst and that person's like, whoa, what just happened? And you're even like, whoa, what just happened? But it's because this thing's shoved down on the inside of us. It might be in anger, it might be in tears... It might be in just like all of a sudden this feeling of exhaustion and you just want to go and have a sleep when nothing, it was quite benign the, the comment that was made but it's triggered something and, and because you've just shoved it down because you don't want to slow down, it's made its way into some kind of outburst or it might be like you're, it's just like this computer like roo, ding, 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 ding and you've, that's it, you're like you're out. Uh, other people it's like you've got to examine it and find the origin of that thing and oh, i think i think I, I think i said that because my mother said this to me when i was young and her aunt um you know treated her like this and oh yeah her aunt's from that country that had that fifth century invasion where the displaced people group you know and so it's like generational trauma and and I've got to protect myself because of the generational trauma that happened from the Mongols in the fifth century and we find the origin of it and we trace it all back and and yeah it's justifiable it's rationalized but but does it actually help in the self-protection and then there's other people that they are just like the little turtle they just everything's in the shell I'm safe here in this dark little protected confined space and no one can touch me. Problem with that is is that the world tends to move forward and we're still in our little shell and, and the momentum that other people are gathering can get so fast that, that as they whiz past us in their sports car we're the little turtle on the side of the road that ends up on the back of its shell and, and all of a sudden you feel safe enough to come out but when you poke your head out you're on your back and you can't move and you just... Is anyone else getting a visual? <laughs> You're like like rock trying to tip yourself over. Enough of the turtle. Um, But self-protection works its way out and you might be able to identify with one of those ways. I think we put up the walls and and almost our British colonised heritage would say that that's a good thing. You might be from a culture where that kind of self-protection, privacy, stoicism is not a good thing, that you feel it's like you're an emotional retard. But for the British colonised people, this privacy and this stiff upper lip is it's valuable. And self-protection can propel us to this place where we're... Yeah, that's the right way to act. And the kind of wonder that we had as children or as whatever it might be gets lost and and away and, and the guardedness creeps in and people might even see that as positive. I, I'm definitely someone who was very out there and wore my heart on my sleeve but through disappointments have become more and more guarded. For those of you who know me, you might think thank God you were hurt Bron, this has guarded you? Oh my goodness that would have been way too much Rod would have had much more ammo for his dry sarcastic comments. <laughs> I actually really do love them Rod. <laughs> yeah turtle (laughs) um self-protection but the thing is about self-protection is that if we dwell and live in self-protection we miss out we live small lives we're kept from the community that God wants that authentic community that God wants us to engage with we're prohibited from sacrificial love and actually if we'll self-protect we can dry up on the inside So let's pray this morning. Lord, the self-protection that we have guarded ourselves with, Lord, sometimes we're not even aware of it. And Lord, it feels very safe and it feels very comfortable and it feels right. So Lord, we need your help in order for us to, Lord, embark out and come out of our self-protection in Jesus' name. Amen. And man, I'm going to read to you this morning, uh, we're going to do a case study in self-protection from a woman in the Bible called Michal. And uh, Michal was the wife of David who eventually became king. And we're going to start the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 16. 2 Samuel 6, 16. And I'll just orientate my phone to be the right way. Oh, wonderful. I'll just read it off the screen. But as the Ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates and a cake of raisins, then all the people return to their homes. Okay, a little bit of context because there's cake involved and we need to know why the party is happening, is that essentially, um, if you know the creation story, the creation story is that God would come and walk with man and woman in the cool of the garden. It's this beautiful picture of like daddy's home after, you know, when he's gotten home from work and the kids run to the door and wrap their arms around dad's legs and he, you know, wrestles with them and whatever. It's this beautiful, that's what it reminds, me of anyway this beautiful picture of of dad coming home to be with his kids and in the cool of the garden they would walk but through their actions uh, they were taken out of God's presence they decided that they could know as much as God they could be like God and judge good from evil and they disobeyed him and had to go out of his presence and so generations later when they began to understand who God was again God met them in their understanding of who he was rather than who himself and in the origin story they would have known him to Be so by the time that he's interacting with them, because he never wanted to stop interacting with humanity, they had gods that were made of stone and wood. They would carve an idol, an image of stone or wood, and then they believed as they anointed it with oil that the god that they worshipped would inhabit that image. And so, God is now meeting them where their understanding of God is, which is that God dwells in in an object. And so he created the Ark of the Covenant, entered into a relationship, an arrangement, an agreement with them, and said, my presence is where this Ark of the Covenant is to engage with their understanding of God and then lead them to a better understanding of God, because the images of wood and stone, they could never um, do anything. But the Ark of the Covenant, wherever it went, when it went to Obed-Edom's house, that household was blessed And so David, who's now the king, says, well, well, we're not just worshipping a God who is mute and uh, deaf and inactive, but we're worshipping a God who acts and wills and does things. So we want to bring his presence right to the centre of our nation, to Jerusalem, and have him as the centre of our nation, the centre of all activities of our nation. And as he does this, he brings the Ark of the Covenant in, and there's this huge celebration going on. It's like what comes to be known as the triumphs in history. If you love history at all, you'll know that the victor would come into the village or the town or the city and he would bring all the spoils of war and he, his commanding army would come with him. That they'd, The victory that they'd won, they'd either have livestock or treasures that they'd plundered or slaves that they'd, they'd taken captive and they would come into the town and people would celebrate with them and they'd throw out treats like cakes and, and everyone would celebrate with them. So David's saying, well, this is our victory. The presence of God is our victory. And he's bringing it through the streets and saying, celebrate with me. And the people are worshipping together. But not Mikal. She is looking down from her window. She's not entering into the celebration with David and with all the people who get to eat cake. No, she's looking down from her window and she's filled with contempt. Let's keep reading verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Now we just need to, in this case study of self-protection, go back a bit for Michal Because in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, we read that she's the daughter of the previous king, King Saul. And Michal has fallen in love with David. She's a young girl, unmarried, fallen in love with David. And the problem is, is that David has a song sung about him that says, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. So Saul is filled with jealousy towards David because Saul feels like you can take credit for yourself for your victories. And so if that's the case, you don't give credit to God, you take it for yourself. Then when other people have victories, that credit belongs to them also. You can't celebrate with them because it's theirs. It's not a collective whole. And the Bible says that he kept one jealous eye on David. And that's what jealousy will do to you. It'll keep an eye on that person. You can have all this stuff going on over here that's really great, but one eye is on this person over here watching for their victories for you to feel small about and watching their crises and their failures for you to feel better about yourself about and so that jealousy started to cripple Saul but unfortunately the porn that he used in the political intrigue was his daughter and he says David why don't you marry Michal and David says who am I I can't marry the king's daughter he says yes you can I believe you can just take and excuse me it's in the bible just take the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. And David says, gross, I don't know if he does or not, but he says, his chest puffs out, he says, I'll take the, the foreskins of 200 Philistines. And Saul is saying this, not so that his daughter gets a worthy person to marry her, but because he wants David dead. He's sending him into enemy territory because he wants him dead. He's using his daughter as the incentive for David to get himself killed well David comes back with the grossest delivery of all time and exchanges it for the hand of daughter Michal and Michal who is in love spends the night with David and we don't know how many it's the only night that's mentioned spent with him it might be their wedding night and Saul sends in troops and says as soon as David comes out let him be killed and there's kind of an insinuation that perhaps Michal knew about this because she warns him and says, David, you've got to get out and lets him out through the window. So, so Michal's even knowing that on her marriage that this is all a ploy for her father to use her. And David is sent out. He goes and he's on the run for many years. And Mikal's given in marriage to a man called Laish, son of Pulte. No, Pulte, son of Laish. And, uh, and married for 15 years. Later on, Saul dies, David becomes king, a man called Ishbeb Binob comes to David to negotiate with him and he says, I'll negotiate with you when you go and retrieve my wife who I paid for. 15 years later, Michal has grown up with this man, Palti. She was a young girl married to David, now she's spent 15 years married to Palti and has grown up with him and she's asked and told that she has to come back and the Bible says in 2 Samuel 3 that Palti cries and walks behind her all the way to Bechorim, crying behind his wife. You don't get that kind of emotion expressed about a woman in the Old Testament. Here's a woman who is loved, but has now been drawn back as a show of power drawn back into the political intrigue, so no wonder she's self-protective, no wonder she can't enter into the celebration of the Lord, no wonder she's keeping her distance from her husband, no wonder she's seeing his display as as, as too much and and I didn't have that access to you for 15 years and now the whole of Jerusalem's got this access into your inner world and and what, what about me, no wonder but the problem is is that Macal, yeah, it's rationalizable, which is probably not a word, but it's totally rationalizable. We can totally understand and empathise with Mial why she would be self-protective. But the fact is, Macal still ends up in an upper room, outside the celebration, getting in a small space and having contempt in her heart and drying up on the inside. Yeah, yeah, we can understand her outburst, her irrational outburst to her husband to reprimand him. We understand that. She's self-protective. But it doesn't actually help her. She's still living a small life. She's still away from the celebration. Yeah, we can understand it. We can understand why she'd withdraw like a little turtle and go into that safe space. But the fact is, this is the last we hear about Makal, that she remains childless for the rest of her life. So her self-protection got her nowhere that's a sad story so we need an antidote to this self-protection we can see that it doesn't work out so we need an antidote but but we can't look to mccall for this antidote because that's the last we hear of her the antidote to self-protection is acceptance i'm going to look at that this morning past present presence peace and potential acceptance now, I don't know how far we're going to get through this, so I'm not going to race through it. We'll just get to where we get to and then we'll finish and and praise God and believe that we've gotten what we need to this morning. So firstly, we're going to look at three kind of different groups. We're going to look at the man Peter, we're going to look at the man Paul and we're going to look at the exilic community because generations after King David, um, bad kings continually did the wrong thing, led the people into error and so they had to suffer the consequence of turning away from God, meaning that Babylon invaded them and they were carried away and grew up in Babylon. Babylon, the people of israel for 70 years so we're going to look at those and we're not going to go into deep detail uh, but i just want us to see how they accepted first the past you see peter he denied jesus three times he was someone who began to follow jesus denied him three times became one of his best friends denied him three times and and one one time the bible says he cursed him he he called down a curse he many people believe he he swore about jesus like You know it'd be the equivalent and excuse the vernacular I'm just trying to give you the example of me saying oh they're an effing idiot that kind of cursing is the kind of cursing that people believe that it was and and it's believed that because he was in the courtyard that Jesus would have actually heard him Uh, just devastating best friend with him all the time telling him that he's never going to leave him and so when Peter hears the cock crow and goes team. Um, So when the rooster crows three times, he goes out and weeps bitterly, And then, what did I say? (laughs) I thought I might have said like the chook, when the chook crowed or something. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so when he he realises that he's denied Jesus three times, devastation, you can imagine. And what do you do? What do you do with that? What do you do when you fail Jesus so spectacularly? Well, what Peter did, he went into self-protection mode. He went to do what he always did, which was fishing. Anyone, is that their coping mechanism for anyone here today? You just go fishing. Well, for Peter, he's like, I'm just going to go to what I know to do. And he went fishing. That was his self-protective mode. You know, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, just to tell you who Paul was. Paul was a man who used to go in... And tear people out of their families, tear people out of their homes and persecute them because they were Christians. He says in Galatians 3.13, writing to the Galatians, You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. He's writing to people and saying, You know what I was like. They knew him. They either knew of him, maybe he killed some of the Galatians family, maybe he killed people that he's writing to right now, their direct connections. He's saying, you know what I was like. And at some point, Peter, Paul, they just had to accept their past. They could have rationalised it, they could have figured it all out, they could have you know, shoved it down and moved on, but at some point they just had to accept that their past was what it was. Let's read a horrific scripture from Psalm 137. You know, we sing it. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down. It's got a really groovy kind of reggae tune. Let's read this. This is from the exilic community. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem, carried away from their homeland. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees, for our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Hello. That's a people in pain right there. That's a people who are devastated and saying, we, we hate our captors. It's right there. We, we don't want to read stuff like that in the Bible. Isn't it meant to glorify God and be good for people? This is a lament of a people who have been taken into slavery and saying, you know, people would use that scripture in Q&A on the ABC and say, the Bible says, happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against us. So let's read it in context, please. And remember that this is an, a people enslaved, that, you know, it talks constantly about these people being eunuchs and, and, and being sent back and, and just horrific things that they endured. Um, Babylon, who actually captured them, uh, the they were one step further than the Assyrian army and the Assyrians were known as unprecedented in their war crimes and the way that they carried out um, <clears throat> invasions against people. They had no um, no... Yes. So, moving on. Sorry, I got carried away with my history, which I love. Um, So here is a people. Now, 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 there's a people, for some of them, that they remembered well. It says they remember what the Edomites did. They remember the Edomites invading. They remember the yells of the Edomites as they captured Jerusalem. There would have been other people that were just little kids that were carried away and now grow up in Babylon. There would have been others that were born in Babylon and they could have gone in and, and they would have understood and they should understand that, that this will happen because they failed to keep putting God first. They, they didn't trust in God. They trusted in themselves and, and it was a consequence. Uh, but at the end of the day, they just needed to accept it. What happened, happened. And for you and for me, brothers and sisters, stuff's happened in our past. And we can go back into it and we can rationalise it and we can work it all out or or we can shove it down and move on or we can be little self-protective turtles. But at the end of the day, we just have to accept it. It's happened. This is what it is. Every, you know, the stages of grief, denial, anger, depression... Um, bargaining they all need to end up at some point at the point of acceptance and Peter had to accept his past Paul had to accept his horrific past these people had to accept their horrific past what had happened to them and we have to accept our past too in order to move forward secondly we have to accept our present we have to accept not only the present is what it is but we are who we are in the present not only in spite of our past, but because of our past, that we are now the person as a result of our past. We have to accept who we are. You see, Peter, as he was in the boat fishing, doing what he knew to do, getting involved and back into his daily activities, he saw Jesus on the shore. And he had a split second to decide, do I run to Jesus or do I... Just stay here in my self-protective bubble and just wait for Jesus to come and try and woo me because I am now who I am because I know what I've done. It's right there. It's front of mind. I know what I've done. And Jesus is there and I've got a split second. Do I go to him or do I withdraw? And Peter puts on a coat, jumps in the water, which shows how cold the water was because usually we take off coats to put, jump in the water. But he puts on his coat, jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. And Jesus is there on the beach cooking Peter breakfast. He's waiting for us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, cooking him breakfast, and he asks him three questions. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And nullifies the three denials and says, well, come on, let's go and build my church. Uh, come on, Peter, let's go and do this. He accepted Jesus, who he, he P, accepted Peter and what he'd done, but Peter needed to accept himself and what he'd done and move forward with Jesus. Paul came to that place of saying three times I begged God to take this thing from me. We don't know what it was. Maybe it was the kind of memories of persecuting the church, of standing by while he saw flesh ripped from Stephen as he was being stoned, as he saw young kids go into the lions. You know, he was around in Rome in that time. Who knows? It could have been his memories. It could have been a sickness. It could have been... We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was, but he came to the place where he said... Your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. I accept who I am in the midst of of my present situation. The exilic community had to accept who they were as well in Isaiah 43, acceptance of the present. This is the prophecy that's now coming to them. They had a prophecy all about how they were going to go into exile. Now they're in exile and, and Isaiah changes and it's comfort. Isaiah 43 says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who forms you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. (laughs) Not mine, mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You see, acceptance of the present doesn't mean that we now have smooth sailing. Acceptance of the past is not, well, the past was there and now I'm good and now everything's going to be fine. Acceptance of the present is no matter what comes my way, I'm going to be okay because God is with me. You see, there's this level of um, Christian maturity that's reached that says, oh, there are deep waters that I've got to go through. Oh, there are rivers of oppression that I've got to walk through. Oh, there are flames of oppression. There's water- rivers of difficulty. These are part of the Christian experience that I've got to go through, but God is with me, and so I can accept whatever is going to come in the present because God is with me. Yes, yes, all the past has happened. That was me, and, and that did happen, and I accept it, and, and now I'm with God, and he's not going to leave me. He says in you know, Isaiah, Isaiah 43:13 from eternity to eternity I am God no one can snatch anyone out of my hand and no one can undo what I've done there's this acceptance of the present that we've got to come to that says come what may I'm with you God come what may you're with me come what may we're together acceptance of the past it happened okay it happened acceptance of the present things will happen but I'm with you God acceptance of the present The next thing that we come to is the acceptance of the presence. Peter said, okay, we're going to build your church, Jesus. And then he waited until he received the presence of God, the empowering presence of God. Because you're not asked to do this alone. The presence of God um, came on the day of Pentecost. And Paul, you know, I think about those three days that he was blind. when, When he was on the road to Damascus, and his sight was taken from him, and he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He had three days to come to grips with who he was. To reconcile his past, to say, okay, that's, that's happened, that is what it is. To understand who he was in the present and then Ananias laid hands on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He had to accept the presence of God. I wonder this morning, you may have come to grips with your past, you may actually go, okay, I'm all right with who I am in the present, but have you received the presence of God? Have you, have you, do you, in worship, delight yourself in the presence of God? Do you, have you received his Holy Spirit? You know, you have when you decided to follow Jesus. Everyone receives the Holy Spirit when they decide to follow Jesus. But there's this accessing the presence of God and walking and possessing the presence of God that we all need to do day by day by day. The presence, accepting the presence of God. And I wonder if we've accepted our past, accepted our present, accepted the presence. Have you accepted His peace? His peace. In John 14, 27, he says, I'm going to give you my peace, not as the world gives. But the kind of peace that I give, the world can't take away. In John 16, 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Nice promise, Jesus. Thank you. (laughs) In this world, you will have, has anyone, like, you know, on the promises that you've got around the house, anyone got that one? In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> Just claiming that one, Jesus. Just naming and claiming that one. In this world, you will have trouble. We know we don't need to claim it. We know it's there every day. In this world, you will have trouble, he says, but I give you my peace. I give you my peace. And in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. Or in a modern translation, don't be anxious about anything. <laughs> If have gone, say <laughs> so what now? Don't be anxious about anything. Can anyone say they've never been anxious about anything? I want to know you if you are that person. But I read that scripture, don't be anxious about anything. You know what that tells me? That tells me that's possible. God's not in the habit of just writing out things that he knows that we can never attain. Don't be anxious about anything. How? In everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God And the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know, we we can possess the presence, but we also need to lay hold of the peace of God. And I believe that the peace is something that we actually do need to lay hold of. It's given, but it's also taken. The peace is accessible, but we need to grab a hold of it and apply it to our lives. It says that it will guard your heart and your mind. That means that we need to judge our feelings and our thoughts and bring them into subjection to Jesus Christ. In the middle of the night when your mind is swirling, it says that the peace of God can transcend your mind, transcend your understanding and guard your mind. So we've got to bring our thoughts into subjection to him. We accept his presence. We accept his peace and then we accept the potential and I've got a wrong caption on this, but Isaiah 43, 19 says, For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. This is God in the time of the exile saying there's something new that's going to happen. There's acceptance not only of the present and the presence and the peace in the present, but the potential that is to come. Because if we can truly just go, okay, the past has happened. I I can stop reasoning about it. I can stop trying to rationalise it. I can stop treasure hunting and find the fifth generational trauma or whatever it might be. I can just go, okay, that's happened. And I can accept who I am in the present and I can move forward from there. I can accept that his presence is wonderful and powerful. I can then take hold of the peace. Then I can move forward into the potential that he has for me. And for this exilic community, it was a time when Jesus was going to come and make all things new, a pathway through the wilderness, rivers in the dry wasteland. How great was the rain? How beautiful has it been? As I drove from Tamworth to Narrabri, there's water everywhere all around. And it's only this time last year where it was a bad Barren wasteland. That is who our God is. That is what He is able to do. He's able to create potential. You know, this scripture is not just a scripture for Vision Sunday for Pentecostal pastors. I'm about to do something new. It's not like, oh, we've got a, we're getting a new microphone, church. We're getting a new sound system, Isaiah 43, 19. God's about to do something new, getting some new lights. No, no, this was about a revolutionary recreation of everything that God wanted from the start, where he was bringing his presence to dwell with us eternally, where we would live in the already not yet of eternity. That's where we live, church. That's who we are. We're living in the already not yet. And it is a privilege and it is a joy and an honour. So let me pray. Let me pray firstly for anyone who maybe has never accepted Jesus. I think we've got a scripture to put on the um, screen here. 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. This is an acceptance of our past. This is an acceptance of our present This is an acceptance of his presence and his peace for our relationship between us and God and for our potential because just as he was raised to life, so also are we raised to life. In that one scripture, these five points are encapsulated and that is incredible. And so firstly, I'd just love us to pray um, all together. If we could close our eyes and and, uh, firstly, I'm just going to ask you for anyone who doesn't know Jesus... Are you ready to accept him? Are you ready for him to deal with your past and awaken you to all the potential in your future? That comes by giving your whole life to him and making him the Lord of your life. It doesn't come by you pursuing your goals, dreams and ambitions and asking him to bless them. No, it is a, I give my whole life to you and I'm going your way now instead of my way. If that's you this morning we're going to pray this prayer all together and I just ask that you pray this from the bottom of your heart because God knows you and he knows your heart for everyone right now who has already decided to follow Jesus would you just spend a short moment in prayer praying for people that don't know him yet because you know the battle that rages for their hearts and for their eternity and so now I We're all going to pray together and if this is you, pray it from the bottom of your heart. Dear Jesus, I don't want to go my way, I want to go your way. Give me a brand new start. Forgive me of my past and guide me into my future. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you pray that prayer, God heard you, he knows you and he's taking you forward from there. And I'm just going to pray simply for everyone and I'd love it if you could identify yourself somewhere in, in the prayer that I pray right now. Lord, I pray for everyone that is living in a self-protective manner. Lord, where maybe even they've decided that that is a good way to live. And Lord, I pray that you would show us that there's so much more, that you are a God of the wide open spaces. And Lord, help us to, just as we do in the natural here in Narrabri, live in the wide open space, that you would enable us in the physical to live, in the supernatural to live in the wide open spaces that you have for us, Lord. Lord, help us to put aside self-protection and to trust you and walk forward with you. Help us to understand that that's your job to protect us, not ours. And Lord, for those of us who still trying to figure out our past Lord may that journey continue but let us come to a place of acceptance so that Lord it's not we're not beholden to it anymore we're not trapped within it anymore we're not there and we can't move forward from it let us accept it Lord even as you might help us understand it Lord for the present Lord Help us to accept who we are in the present right now and to know that you accept us in the present right now. Lord, for any part of us that would say, God does not accept me, help us to remember Paul who persecuted your church and killed your people, how you accepted him and brought him to yourself. Help us to know that we are acceptable in your sight because of Jesus. Lord, for those of us who really have never known your presence, oh God, I pray that that might not be the case anymore. That God, you don't validate yourself through our emotions, but you do use them to let us know that you are near. So I pray that we would know your presence. I pray that we would lay hold of your peace. And Lord, I pray you would awaken us to the potential that you have for us, in Jesus' name.